0: So I've been wearing glasses since I've been like, I don't know, around nine years old. I'll have to check with my mom later to know for sure. But without them, I'm fairly helpless. To Like to this day, I'm as blind as a bat, except I don't have that cool sonar thing that bats have to keep them from walking into stuff. When I was a kid, I was always busting up my glasses, breaking them all the time. Between wrestling and play fighting, which I really like to do, to sports, which I'm passionate about winning, but have very poor hand-eye coordination, or just generally being a clumsy kid, I was snapping the arms, bending the frame, and there was even a couple of times I even was a walking cliche, and I broke my glasses like completely in half. So I was always going to a drawer in our kitchen, digging out some tape, and taping those glasses back together. It looked really funny when I would leave the house in the morning, and it absolutely did nothing to challenge the rep I had in elementary school as a total dork. As embarrassing as walking around with tape on my glasses was as an 11-year-old who was now very much aware of all of the women in the world and deeply, deeply concerned about what they all felt about me, the alternative was simply not acceptable. Because the alternative was to not wear glasses. And that meant that everything would be fuzzy, and lack clarity. And functioning in a safe and productive way would be extremely difficult, if not like totally impossible. Because I would either waste valuable and precious time moving so slow that I would get nothing done, or I would miss stuff that I needed to see, or worse still, I would injure myself stumbling around, unable to see the danger that lurks ahead. So thus it was more important that I had clarity, then I had street cred or coolness. So off-brand scotch tape, it was. If it was true for my actual eyes, it's true for your actual life. Without clarity, you're either wasting your time, missing what's important, or worse yet, you're putting yourself and those you love and lead in grave danger. My name's Adam Shaw, and this is The Restorationist. Hey, everybody, just want to say, as I always do, thank you so much for listening. It cannot be overstated how privileged I am to know that you have given me your time and part of your day. It's my honor to serve you and your faith, your family, and I hope that I can make a small impact on your life and on your leadership. As a result, so today we're continuing with the foundations of healthy leadership. This is actually part one B of my first episode, and if that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, here's basically what happened. Like any typical preacher, I over-prepared massively. But rather than record a 90-minute episode, I decided to break it up into two parts to just make it easier for people to find. So today we're going to be jumping into, I guess, part two-ish. ...of the Foundations of Healthy Spiritual Leadership. I hope you enjoy it. So in our first episode, we talked a whole lot about your personal spirituality. We said that being connected to Jesus and being spiritually healthy is the foundation for healthy leadership. That Jesus was the only one in our lives, the only one that we could ever be in a relationship with that requires absolutely nothing from us. Jesus needs nothing from you in order to sustain his existence or progress his purpose. But if you are a leader, you are surrounded by people that require time, energy, resources, etc., in order to survive, in order to stay healthy themselves. And so if we are going to have something to give to others, we need to get something from God first. But becoming a spiritually healthy leader includes way more than just the big three. Don't get me wrong. Prayer, fasting, and being in the Bible are very, very important to your life and your leadership. But these are just the basics of being a Christian. So I guess the question we need to ask ourselves is, what else do we need to add? What do we have to put on top of the foundation of a healthy inner spiritual life to make us a healthy leader? Well, we have to put our glasses on the next thing that we need to create is clarity. Now, for the section that I'm going to talk to you about now and and some of the practical things we're going to walk through, I I want to make sure that I give credit where credit is due, and so I want to give credit to Patrick Lencioni, Brendan Burchard, Stephen Covey, Peter Drucker, who helped um, their writings and talks and and published papers, along with um, my personal experience and the Word of God, have Really help shape the content of this episode and the next episode, so I want to make sure I um, I want to give credit to them. I'll let you know when I'm quoting from them, or when I'm using um, a model of theirs. I'll make sure that that gets acknowledged before we walk through the practical elements of that you know particular model. I just wanted to put that out there to make sure that um, a credit was given where credit is due. But if there's anything that leaders need today, it's clarity. In fact, according to Brennan Burchard, high performance begins with clarity in fact, uh, based on some research he's done here's what, here's what he discovered the people who are high performers and he defines high performance as people that are performing better than their uh, others in their industry and they are they are achieving success. they're accomplishing the mission that they have set out. but they're doing that and at the same time also are inwardly happy, they have healthy homes healthy minds, healthy relationships. Basically, they're succeeding and not burning out, because we all know people that have been wild successes in their ventures, even in ministry and service, and then have crashed and burned like a jet in the air with a failed engine. Well, that that's not high performance to me. That That's like living in yourself, living in your flesh, and then doing a whole bunch of really awesome stuff, and you gain the whole world and lose your own soul. I'm not about that. I don't want that life for myself. I want to perform well, and I want to be successful in whatever I have set my heart and mind and hand to, but I do not want to do it at the expense of my family or my spiritual life. So, One of the things, though, when Brennan Burchard, uh, and that's one of the reasons why I like him, is when he talked about high performers, he said these high performers that were succeeding and not burning out were people that had tremendous clarity. They were most able to articulate their future selves with greater ease and speed than others. When he compared those that performed well and those that were average or low performers, he found that the high performers were most able to articulate the narrative of who they wanted to be and where they wanted to go. They didn't just know themselves, they didn't just know their strengths or their weaknesses, but they had a picture of who they were becoming, and they had a clear sense of destiny, and the future wasn't hazy. So I guess this leads us to ask ourselves a very, very important question. How in the world do we create clarity right now? Or, How do we create a culture where clarity can be continually sought after and found? Well, according to Patrick Lencioni and my life experience and what I see from leaders in the Bible, creating clarity requires us to answer two questions. When we answer the first question, we'll have an answer that will never change. I mean, we can carve it in stone. And when we answer the second question, we'll have an answer that we'll need to evaluate again and again and again, and that will lead us through a continual process of change. Here's the two questions. Question number one is, how will we behave? And your answer to that question will never change. And the second question is, what is most important right now? And that answer, obviously, will change over time. So let's jump right into it. Question number one, how will we behave? Answering the question of how we will choose to interact and behave in the world is going to create clarity. Now, you may be thinking, especially those of us that have read the authors that, that I, I, I spoke about and referred to, and you may be thinking, what about mission and vision? What about, you know, a purpose and a purpose statement and walking through all of that? Now I think as followers of Jesus our our mission and vision has already been set by our chief leader Jesus Christ. As individuals we already have that we already have that answer. Our, our mission or our vision is that we are to be disciples of Jesus who make other disciples of Jesus. That's it. The the mission or vision or purpose statement of your life is that I am a disciple of Jesus Christ and being a disciple of Jesus Christ means I follow Jesus and I make other followers of Jesus. That's it. That's my purpose in life. Now, as local churches we and organizations, we need to define what our vision is, and that's really important. So at my church, here's our vision, to grow a church where people love to experience God's presence, learn God's teaching, share in God's family, and serve God's mission. But if you look at the other articulated examples of other Spirit-filled apostolic churches, we all are basically saying the same thing because in my opinion, the mission and vision of the local church or of the church in general, we find in Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47 and how we choose to articulate and emphasize that in our current cultural context, of course, God leads us and directs us, but the mission and vision of the church we find in in the scripture. Now, don't get me wrong. I think it's really, really important for you to, if you're in an organization, to qualify who you are and what it is you're trying to do. But while mission and vision is very, very important, what's most important is how we have decided to behave. And this is what Patrick Lencioni defines as values. Lencioni dis- defines values as how we do things around here. It's the attitude and the approach and the chosen line of behavior that, that we have decided will serve as the definitive filter of what is and what is not appropriate for our interactions with the world and with others and with our team and with our families, et cetera. It's really important that we answer the question, how will we behave? Because if a person is tolerant of everything, it will stand for nothing. One of the things I find very, very, very interesting about early Roman history was their idea of trying to democratize or make equal all belief systems and require and force uh, upon all people the acceptance of all other belief systems as equally valid and important. Because if everybody's right and nobody's wrong, then nobody's idea matters. And thus, Rome could control the populace. Because if you're required to regard every set of values or beliefs as of equal value as your beliefs, then Obviously, you know, it doesn't matter except for Rome that rules you with an iron fist. We see the same attitude in culture today where there is this attempt to tolerate or count as equally valid things that that you frankly don't find valid or find appropriate or find even sensical. Thus, if an apostolic church is tolerant of everything, it will stand for nothing. If a team or an organization is tolerant of everything, every behavior, every action, so that we can be nice and accepting, it will stand for nothing. The same goes with your your personal life. If you are tolerant of everything within yourself, you will stand for nothing. You will become nothing if you are tolerant and consider valid every ideology, every idea, every behavioral set you're you're going to stand for nothing if if you tolerate everything you you actually value nothing now this idea of intolerance obviously i'm not talking about being mean or rude or i'm talking about what you find acceptable within the spheres of influence that you have whether it's your personal life or your family or the teams that you lead and your intolerance must go beyond your theology so for if, if we're all saying you know we're we're going to have we're going to have some lines moral and ethical lines drawn in the sand i'm talking about that you know obviously that should be a given i'm talking about going beyond that intolerance must extend beyond our theology and must extend to the traits the behaviors and the attitudes and the emotions that we bring into our lives, that we tolerate in our lives, that we tolerate in our teams, and how we go about doing things through the filter of those feelings. When it comes to creating organizational clarity, alignment and unity, intolerance is absolutely essential. We must be super intentional about driving the emotions and behaviors that will form the culture of our lives, our families, and our organizations. Now, according to Lencioni, there are four types or four categories of values, and it's really important that, you know, when you think through these, we're actually going to really focus on one. When you think through these, that you're very narrowly focused, that you don't just write down dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of things. There are lots of organizations out there that have these massive value statements and there are, you know, 20 or 30 long, but the problem is if if you've got 20 or 30 things that you say you value, there's a good chance nobody's paying attention to those things. So according to Patrick Lencioni, we can create a narrowly focused set of values by dividing values into a few different types of categories, and those categories are this, core values, aspirational values, accidental values, and permission to play values. I'll give you the definitions of them, but for the sake of what we're going to talk about today, we're, we're only going to really focus on on a couple. Now, core values, these are who are we right now? What qualities make us different from others? And this can't be integrity, it can't be honesty, but they have to speak to the unique approach to life or your organization's, you know, unique approach to ministry and service. And the thing is, when you talk about core values, according to Lencioni, you need to only have two or three. In fact, you must have only two or three values. The second category of values, you're going to see this number play out over and over. The second type of values is aspirational values. And that is, who do we hope to be? What qualities or traits can be added to us that would make us more effective? third category of values is accidental. Accidental is not like core or aspirational that these are these are the values that you do not want to put on a t-shirt. Because accidental values are what are the things that we have started doing and we didn't mean to and they don't really have anything to do with our purpose. In fact, if we're really really honest, these are the things that drive all of us crazy, but they seem to be so ingrained in the culture of how things go around here, but they they drive everybody nuts and they keep us from accomplishing our mission. They just became part of the way that we operate, but if we're honest, it's the stuff that kills us. It's the stuff that keeps us from becoming effective. You need to identify two or three accidental values in your life, your family, or your ministry. The fourth is permission to play. Now, these are the bare minimum standards that need to be in the team or that you have to have in order to function in this family. That's where things like, according to Lencioni, things like integrity and honesty all come from. You know, they're the they're the basics. Yeah, no, you can't cheat or steal or lie or hurt people like by hitting them if you want to have you know a a job here. No, you cannot sing on the platform if you you know get mad and punch out an usher in the middle of service because he didn't pass you the plate. You know, that, that's not something that you want to say is the core value. Integrity, honesty, or, you know, nonviolence, tolerance, and acceptance. Now, those aren't like unique things. Those are basic human morals that we want the whole world to have. So get those types of categories out of your head. And if this feels overwhelming when you think about them, core, aspirational, accidental, permission to play, well, let, let's, let's focus this a little more narrowly so it can be usable for our everyday lives and our teams. The best way to weed out the bad is to strongly and powerfully define the good. This is what my dad t- told our team uh, back in November when we walked through this process as a local church, and, and then I had this ringing in my mind when my wife and I walked through this process in the new year when we set out some, uh, some goals for our family. The best way to weed out the bad. so the best way to make sure that we prevent the accidental values from taking us over is to strongly and narrowly and powerfully define what is good. Who are we right now that is good, and what do we want to accomplish in the future? In other words, we state clearly what we are for, and by stating clearly what we are for, we define and, and know intuitively what we are against. And the most important set of values that will help you gain this level of clarity are core values. Now, in an organization, according to Lencioni, core values define an organization's personality. They are a small collection of traits and emotions that make up our approach to ministry or your personal approach uh, to life. It's the personality of the team. It's the personality of the family. It's it's the set of behaviors. And it's really important that you have this defined because we've all worked with people on teams. We've all jumped into a project with somebody And it didn't matter that they were talented, it didn't matter that they were smart, it just for some reason, it just was a really, really bad fit. And the reason for that bad fit was a misalignment of values, because values create clarity and define what will and will not be tolerated. Values help put a set of lenses over your eyes that tell you what to look for in new team members or future leaders within an organization. They also help you clarify your approach to life as a family, if you're thinking about this through the lens of family relationship. They also, if you're thinking about this through individual growth, they define your game face of how you're going to act and behave and interact with the world. So what are your core values? You know, another way of asking this question is, what do you care about? What principles will constrain us in the pursuit of our vision and goals? Now, if you're thinking about this through the lens of family and maybe some uh, personal development, think of it this way. What do you passionately love? What makes you feel excited to get up in the morning? What makes you feel alive? What makes you pumped up? What breaks your heart or makes you, you know, just righteously angry? What, you know, what what kind of just revs the engine of your frustration and anger? I mean, healthy anger, a good anger. It's okay to be angry about some stuff. It, what kind of like, when you look at it, you're like, no, no, I'm not about that. That is not okay. What are some unique strengths to you and your family? You know, when you decide what you're going to or not going to do, what are the filters you pass those decisions through? What things are exciting or fun to you? What will you never do? Why? If you're thinking about this through the lens of a team or an organization, here's some things that we asked our team at Life One Church. What attitude do you approach serving and leading with? When you are prayed up, how do you feel about serving and working for God? Of all the things that you wrote about yourself, what is most in common with the team? Name those team members. What is one high standard you know that as an organization we are going to defend at all costs? What will we never tolerate? And what does that reveal about us? When you see our leadership team working, what do they seem to passionately love? What stirs strong emotions in them? What what above behaviors or attitudes make our team or our church or our organization unique in comparison to others? See, values are critical to your health as a leader. They're critical because they tell you what your game face should look like. They're the filter over your emotions, so the odd time that you're having a bad day, you know how you're supposed to act when you walk through the doors.'ve we've all We've all been in, in in experiences where we were we were just I mean it was rough. We were frustrated, we were stressed, but but it was time to time to put on a game face. It was t- It was go time. And to be honest, success doesn't care, and life doesn't care if you're going through a bad time or not. It just doesn't. I know this, you know, (laughs) this sounds intense or it sounds harsh, but you have to decide, you know, how you're going to feel. This is hard, especially if you're an emotional person. I'm an emotional guy, but this is what your values are, are defining for you. They define for you how you're supposed to behave when everything else inside of you is screaming, run away, and, and whine, or pout, or cry, or be angry. Your values serve as filters over your decisions. Just like we won't violate our vision, we cannot violate our values. This is why it's so important that you lean in hard on this core value section, even at the expense of um, disregarding the other types of values. And when you lean in hard on this core value section, you're very strict on yourself or your team that you're only coming up with two, three, or max four elements of your core values. Because if you have too many values it's like you have no values. As you talk through these questions, as you work through them, it, you're going to get really super excited. You're going to get fired up. You're going to be like, man, I we love all of the things. The problem with loving all of the things is that's basically like loving nothing. So you have to narrowly focus. And when it comes to your core, you have it. Ha, everything that you're writing down has to be true about you right now, has to be true about your team, your organization, or your church right now. Not what you want to be, but right now, and it's shared by everybody. Everybody is like this. Everybody, uh, as far as the core team goes, if, if this is the team, core leadership team, everybody, this is who they are. And if something is really true about you, but not true about the rest of the team, or not true about the other members of your family, then you know what? It's not a core value you have to be really, really focused, really, really strict. It's going to be super tempting to write down all the things that you love, but it's what's true about you right now. So for our church, we walked through this process, and we said that passion is the defining emotion and drive of all that we do. I mean, we could have come up with loving and caring and nice, and those are lots of places, and those are wonderful things but when we said what is most true about us right now, we said that we're we're people that get fired up about stuff. We're passionate. And when we defined our passion, the things that were we were most passionate about as a team, and this this is stuff as a church that will never change. We are passionate about apostolic doctrine and its application. That's one. Two, we are passionate about being spirit-led and spirit-driven. Three, we are passionate about results. There's our core values. Passion is the driving force and emotion of all that we do, and we are passionate about apostolic doctrine and its application. We are passionate about being spirit-led and spirit-driven, and we're passionate about results. We want to win. We want to see things happen. It, it, for us as a team, it drives us crazy to show up and go through the motions and not feel like we have moved the ball up the field. Like that—that's a disaster to us. That's what we're about right now. We will push, and we will—we are willing to—to make it uncomfortable uh, with ourselves so that we we can see results happen. That's—that's who we are right now. We are passionate about apostolic doctrine and results. So, I mean, I've said it like four times. I'm just—it fires me up every time. So, how does this define our team? What? when we show up to church, when our leadership team shows up to church, when we walk through the doors, we throw the switch. It's passion. It's passion about these three things. When we are going to act, it's passion. Are you tired? Uh, Do you feel kind of sick? Yep. Doesn't matter. I already have told myself how I'm going to behave. It's passionate. Uh, For example, this is not to to, toot, you know, the horn of my family, but, you know, we had a really, really super busy weekend uh, the weekend of this recording, and uh, you know we had four hours of sleep. We had a, an event we had to go to, and then we had to come down uh, come back home late at night after the event and we spent several hours prepping our house because we were running a, a large you know small small group but ended up about thirty some people showed up or thirty people showed up at our house and so we had to prep our house for uh, thirty people that were going to come over that we were all we were going to cook dinner for them. And so um, we were tired. I mean, it was absolutely brutal getting up You know, at 7 in the morning when we had gone to bed at 3.30, and I had to lead worship. Steph had to do stuff for our church and, and then had to you know keep working to get ready for the small group, and then we all had to show up uh, at church, and I had to show up early for a sound check because I was the worship leader for the day. The moment I crossed through the doors of the church, it did not matter how tired I was. We were passionate. I watched my wife. She had uh, she had worked throughout the night on some accounting stuff, and she had cooked, and she had uh, she had cleaned, and she had gotten up when I got up and spent two and a half hours working around our house. Got our son up, got him dressed, came to church. I mean, it was a crazy, crazy day, but she worked the altars, praying with people that were hurting and that were hungry for God like a champ, and you would not have known that she was running on four hours of sleep at all because passion is a core value of our team, and just like you won't violate your vision, you can't violate your values, and once you define what your values are, whether it's for your life or your team or your family— you can't violate them, that there has to be intolerance and enforcement so that when somebody is not passionate, they're going to get called out. It's not going to be mean. It's not going to be harsh. It's going to be done with a, you know, a loving attitude, but but we're going to be like, hey man, we didn't feel it. Th- this wasn't a win. Even in our family, we have adopted this process and we have defined a set of values uh, for our family. We said that we are Christ-centered We are kingdom-minded. We are family-focused, and we are adventurous. That the center of our family is Jesus. That everything we do keeps the kingdom of heaven and the people God has called us to lead in mind. We will seek to do all that we do together as a family. It's one of the reasons why I I don't just, you know, run off with my buddies for a few days, or I don't do uh, a lot of, like, just dude night kind of stuff, and, and she doesn't uh, do it either. Uh, it doesn't mean that those things are wrong. It just means for our family, we value being together as much as possible. So that that's what we try to do. The other thing is we're adventurous. We're constantly seeking new experiences. This means that we would rather save our money to uh, go on a vacation than to sink money into a second vehicle. So that means that, you know, I, I take public transit to airports when I travel to go speak. And, you know, my wife will take the bus home and we just have one car that is paid off because we are an adventurous family. And so we don't want to be tied down with debt so that we can have fun with our lives and with each other. Values are so, so, so important. So once you create your values, you can, you can put those in stone. These are the things that define who we are, and these will never change. Now, once we have that, the second thing we have to do, at least according to Patrick Lencioni, is to create clarity by answering what is most important right now. Now that we know how we're going to act and behave, It's time for us to determine our priorities. So what is most important right now? And the answer to that question, uh, Lencioni calls a thematic goal or a rallying cry. And unlike values or vision that never change, your rallying cry is for a fixed period of time. It is a single determining priority. Now, the idea of a single determining priority is all throughout Scripture, And there's great reason for this. In the scripture, we see Jethro going to Moses and saying, Moses, my goodness, you have so many people coming to you with problems that you were supposed to preside over, and you're, you're taking all of your time to solve people's problems and answer their questions instead of figuring out where we're going next. So what you need to do right now, Moses, is you need to put captains over thousands and captains over hundreds and all that kind of stuff the apostle Paul in the book of Acts. I have to go to Rome. Rome is uh, is the final destination for my ministry. I must go to Rome. Help me give to that project. David shows up in the field to give food to his brothers, and he sees Goliath of Gath come, and, you know, you know, fee-fi-fo-fum, I'm the biggest guy. That's not a direct quote, but you know what I mean. And David goes, who will fight this giant? He cuts through all of the noise who is going to fight this dude? Somebody has to fight this dude, and somebody has to kill him, because we're not going to get rid of the Philistines until we kill this giant. All of these these people believed that accomplishing this single time-bounded goal was the most important thing and would make the greatest difference in their lives or in their nation. Jethro believed Israel can't go forward until Moses figures out how to delegate power. Paul believed that, uh, that for my life and my mission, God is calling me to Rome, and that's where I am laser-focused. David believed that until Goliath lay down you know, on the ground, headless, that the Philistines were going to continually taunt them and would never leave them alone, and their lives would constantly be plunged into chaos. Accomplishing this thematic goal was the most important thing and would make the greatest difference in their lives. So Lencioni uh, defines a rallying cry or a thematic goal as this, and I quote, a single qualitative focus that is shared by the entire team or family, and it applies for only a specified period of time. So let's break this down. If this is a family or if this is an organization, the theme has to be for everyone. It can't just be for one person or one department. Now, in a family, there may be a crisis in the life of a single family member, but if it can be argued that solving the crisis in the life of this particular individual will create the greatest change or bring about the biggest change in the life or the health of the family, then that can be your rallying cry. And it can be the same thing with a single department or a single team member in an organization, a team, and even a local church. So it can be we've got to solve this problem, and this problem may only um, relate to a particular area of ministry that one person oversees or one area of execution that one person oversees. But if making the greatest or making a change in that or fixing a problem in that will bring about the greatest degree. Of, uh, of health and alignment and progression in the organization, well, by all means, let's make that the focus of everybody. Everybody jumps in and sees what they can do to solve the problem. Now, the thing with this concept of, of rallying cry to keep in mind is this, before we rush forward to the execution phase, is that this thematic goal is thematic. It's a qualitative goal not a quantitative goal. When you're answering the question, what is most important right now? The answer to that needs to be qualitative. And there's there's a couple of reasons why. Number one, it has an emotional punch. Qualitative uh, uh, goals have an emotional hit to them. People's hearts need to be engaged if they're going to buy in. If we're going to ask people to reorganize their life or change the way they operate or care about something that's outside of the silo of what they do you have to involve and engage the heart. The heart has to be involved. Number two, when something is qualitative, it's organization-wide. It's organization-wide. That means more people can be involved, which is the third reason. Everyone needs to be invested and feel invested. And when uh, you can make your rallying cry an idea that people can see Uh, that represents a narrative of the future, then everyone can be invested. Here's a family example. Let's say that there is, uh, we got to work on dad. Dad dad needs some help in the family. So the rallying cry is create an environment where dad can be healthy or help make dad healthy. And the idea of, of that is very qualitative because it can have a few different things Attached to it, it can be. Dad needs to get a job, uh, and you know, dad, you know, dad got fired from a job, and so you know, his heart, you know, his his emotions are low. His heart's a little broken. His egos, you know, he's got to work on his physical health because his blood pressure is high. And so, there's all sorts of ways when you say, "Help make dad healthy." everyone can get roped to that idea. If it's just dad needs to get a job, well, that's something dad is exclusively responsible for and thus excluding the rest of the family. So by making, you know, the dad changing is going to make the greatest impact in the home. Of course, dad's got to be bought into the idea that him changing is going to be the greatest impact in the home. But by making the rallying cry qualitative, everyone can help with that everyone can help. So uh, this can work in a team, this can port over into a new department. Let's say that, uh, you know, we've got to, uh, in a local church, we just say, we, everyone needs to be followed up on. Well, that, that can't be a rallying cry, because not everyone is involved in, let's say, follow-up. But if we can make the rallying cry, retain more people, or close the back door, that, that's something that everyone can get engaged in. And it's also something that captures people emotionally. And just like the values discussion, you can have this together as a family, as a team, as an organization, as a local church, or it's something that uh, you can have within yourself, though I believe community is a great way. So if you're trying to work on yourself and you're listening to this podcast and it's about your personal growth and uh, maybe you're single or you know, you're not married or you're not networked in with a family of people where uh, this, would, this would be appropriate, get a friend and go out for coffee and brainstorm with them because that always seems to just make, make this process a whole lot easier. And so when you're coming up with your rallying cry, Here's here's some things to ask yourself. If we could only accomplish one thing over the next, and then you fill in the amount of months, it could be, you know, three, two, six, or twelve, let's, let's, no more than twelve months, what would it be? And so if we as a family could only accomplish one thing over the next three months, what would it be? If we as a team or a local church could accomplish only this one thing over the next six, nine, 12 months, what would it be? And then here is where you test the idea. What kind of difference would it make? What type of change would it create in our lives, in our team, or in our family? And so you start brainstorming until you come up with a qualitative theme or goal. It's also referred to, as I said, a rallying cry, because it should have emotional punch to it. And you'll kind of know when you get to it. You'll kind of just feel it. It's one of those things you got to kind of feel in your gut. You'll start working through some ideas, and then all of a sudden it will click, and, and your heart will engage. Man, if this happened, if this happened, man, this would change everything. So for my local church, we got together and we said, a significant number of people need to receive the Holy Spirit. And as a Pentecostal church, we felt in the season that we're in, that was what was most important. Now, at all times, you know, this we want we want people to, to, to be filled with the Spirit of Jesus. That's that's what we want. We want people to get the Holy Ghost. But given the fact that we had just gone through a season of refining our discipleship process, uh, organizing departments, uh, working on our administrative structure, we felt that we had uh, done what we could do from an organizational standpoint, and now what we needed more than anything was to enter into a season of harvest and growth in our church. And so we said that was our rallying cry, and if we do nothing else this year, we want our church to see a significant number of people to receive the Holy Ghost. Now see how that is a qualitative goal. That is a qualitative goal, because we didn't attach a number to it, but we just said we want the number to be significant, and it was something that everyone can get behind. Every department, every leader, every one of the organization can get behind. For Ontario Youth, the district organization that I lead in Ontario, our rallying cry is, we must advance the kingdom. If Ontario Youth does nothing else, we must advance the kingdom. If Ontario Youth will consider an event a success, it must advance the kingdom. In my family, our rallying cry is to become a radically spiritually and physically healthy family. We felt that if we can focus on our spiritual and physical health, then that would make the greatest difference in our lives. Now, here's one thing that is really important for these discussions, is that one, especially when it comes to a team or an organization or a local church, everyone takes off their department hat. So when we met together as a church, as a church senior leadership team, it was just leaders of LifePoint Church. It was just team members. We abandon and forget for that moment that we have specific roles and responsibilities and we just view ourselves as team members. The reason why it's so important that you have to do that, it's the reason why it's so important that you must do that, is at times we view ourselves uh, and we identify ourselves as the role or the title that we bear. And that's not the right approach. It's not the right approach is because when you come to meetings, you begin to advocate for your interests at times at like the exclusion of others. And if a rallying cry is going to work, it has to apply to everybody. And everybody then in the room must forget the hat that they wear or the title that they possess or the department they represent. And it, just, it must be about the organization alone. And once The meeting is done and the next step that we're going to talk about in a second has taken place. Then you put your department hat back on and you think through the lens of what you can do as a department leader to solve the problem. But if you come wearing your name tag, you know, wearing your title badge or your title hat on your head to that meeting, you're going to think through the competing interests of the thing that you lead and you're not going to think of the whole body. And we don't want to do that. So, now that you've got your rallying cry, you have to give the theme some legs. You need to set some defining objectives. Now remember, we're still on the journey for clarity. And you may be like, oh man, I just want to get up there and do stuff. At some point, you just gotta just get to work. You just gotta get the action. Well, you know what? Here's the problem. Many of us don't lack motivation and we don't lack work ethic but the reason why we're not as successful as we want is we don't have clarity and so we do a whole bunch of busy work and we don't actually move a singular ball up a singular field and 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 that's that's what this process is about so to recap before we go to the next point you know putting legs to the to the rallying cry now that we are spiritually healthy that was you know the the first episode now that we're spiritually healthy and we're praying and we're fasting or reading the word of god we are creating clarity, and we've created clarity through defining our core values. Two, we're creating clarity by coming up with our rallying cry or our thematic goal, a time-bounded, qualitative goal that's shared by everybody on the team, in the family, or at the church. And now that we have our rallying cry, we've got to set some defining objectives. Now, here's what that all means. Defining objectives, according to Patrick Lencioni, and I quote, are temporary qualitative components that serve to clarify exactly what is meant by the thematic goal. These defining objectives are shared by all members of the team, and they provide a level of specificity so that the goal isn't just a slogan, but rather a specific and understandable call to action. That's cool. So now that we have defined our attitude and behavior, that was values, and we have answered the question qualitatively, what is most important right now, we've got the theme for the next few months or the year, we're going to put legs or shape to that theme so it's more than just a slogan. I mean, especially those of us that have grown up in, 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 in church, we have heard all of the yearly slogans, right? Right. All of the ideas have been thrown out there and everyone, you know, we cry and we're emotionally moved by the slogan or the concept of the idea, but it doesn't seem to have any connection to reality. And for the real practical, you know, let's, let's get to where the rubber meets the road kind of people, th- that's where this, this begins to take shape. And you're going to like this next part. And for those of us that are the dreamers and, you know, we want to think about the future, it's really important that you, you put legs to your dreams in order for them to become a reality. You put legs to the things that are most important in order for them to become a reality. And that's what this part is about. You need to discipline your mind for this part. So a defining objective is going to give us some specificity so that the theme actually becomes an understandable call to action. And here's how you determine your defining objectives. You want to sit down with your team, your department, your family, or maybe sit down with a piece of pen and paper and have a conversation within yourself if this is a solo act. And you want to answer the following questions. What must be true in order for us to reach our rallying cry? Now, this speaks to culture change. This speaks to changes in approach. What are some things that must be done in order for us to reach our rallying cry? Now, this may be projects. This is a project-based question. So what are some small projects that must be completed in order for us to get to the moment we say is the win? And what must we do in order for us to reach our rallying cry? these are habit changes. Now you ask yourself these three questions and you just start writing stuff down. And then you want to pick four to six of those things and make those four to six things alone your defining objectives. Not Now when I say four to six, I'm not saying four to six, you know, per question. I'm saying four to six in total. Four to six in total four to six defining objectives. So let me, let me give you some examples here. So for LifePoint Church, we said we wanted to see people receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we came up with five defining objectives. Number one, pray and fast for people to receive the Holy Ghost. We wanted as a leadership team, and we wanted as a local church to create a culture of prayer and fasting that is focused towards people being converted. Pray and fast for people to receive the Holy Ghost because we need the Spirit of God in order for this to happen. The second thing we said was we want to create effective altar call experiences. Create effective altar call experiences. Use all means, number three, all means available to reach everyone we can personally and as a church. Emphasize the necessity and power of the Spirit always. And finally, become a church where all people can connect and belong. Now, what is cool about these is that they are, they are idea-centric enough that everyone can contextualize this where they serve. But they are specific enough that you know where the win is. For Ontario youth, we said, create opportunities for people to experience miracles and, and, and the gift of the Holy Ghost, because our, our thematic goal was advance the kingdom. So we wanted to create opportunities for people to experience miracles and the gift of the Holy Ghost. Train and equip leaders to advance the kingdom of God locally and globally was our second one. Inspire and celebrate young people who are advancing the kingdom. Motivate young people to raise more outside money and give sacrificially to She's for Christ, because we know that we've got to fund the mission if we want to see the kingdom of God advance. So we had to motivate young people to raise outside money and give sacrificially. And then finally, create more opportunities for young people to serve at Ontario youth events. Now, these are just examples of how we use this idea in our context and I uh, I hope they've helped you at least see how we've tried to figure it out. But the, the big picture concept is this. You discover your values. You figure out what's most important right now. That's your rallying cry or thematic goal. You define that rallying cry with some objectives. And here's the important part. You're able to put all of it down on a single piece of paper. Or a really big napkin. You're like, man, are you serious? I mean, we're 50 minutes into the podcast, and you're telling me that after I answer all these questions and I think about my feelings and I think about how other people feel, and at the end of the day, this this can fit. This can fit on a napkin or a piece of paper or a single page in my journal. Yep. In fact, if it doesn't, there's a good chance you're too complicated. And I know what you're thinking. You know, in times past, you're like, we've had We've we've done stuff and we've had binders and everyone got a duotang and there was like there was indexed pages and well that's why it didn't stick it was it was too difficult the idea is that by spending the time to make things less fuzzy about how you're gonna act and what's important right now by taking the time to create or position yourself for that clarity you gain incredible simplicity that can fit on a single sheet of paper and thus become a defining filter for the things you want to do. Now, I, I can anticipate probably what you're thinking. This is a great exercise. We've done stuff like this before, but it dies at the end of the meeting. How do we know if we're winning? How do we keep this alive in our in my life? How do I stay disciplined? How do, how do I keep my family focused? How do, how do I position my team so that this is in front of them all the time. Because, I mean, we've set goals, and we've had posters printed, and we've made resolutions before, and it's just never worked. Okay, so the next part is critical. The next part is absolutely critical. But it's also really simple. Because the beauty in this model is your one page is now your scorecard. Your one page of your values your rallying cry, and your objectives, that's now your scorecard. So the the next step, once this brainstorming, team-defining, clarity-creating meeting is done, and you get everything down on one page, you now set up a regular rhythm of meetings. You schedule them with your family, with yourself, with your team, with your leaders, where you review... And score how you're doing in relation to what's most important right now and the objectives that you are using to define your goal. So, let me give you the outline of how this works. Let me give you the outline of how this works. So, we do this, uh, this model three different ways um, one in Ontario Youth, another way with LifePoint Church, and another way in our family. Steph and I do it another way in our family. So here's how it works. And it's the same model. And I'll show you the various iterations of, of how we handle it. So it's really simple. Everyone gets together and we go, okay, what are we working on this month? What are your priorities this month? What, what are you working on? And so this is just a general kind of discussion. Uh, oh, hey, I'm working on this. Oh, i got this on my plate. It doesn't have to best necessarily be connected to your rallying cry or whatever. It's just to get people talking. And then after we do that, only takes a few minutes. Even though there's a lot of leaders in the room, it should only take a few minutes. Everyone should be able to tell you in 60 seconds or less what they're working on, the most important thing that they're working on. If they can't, they don't know. So they're probably making it up on the spot. So once you're done that, it should only take a few minutes then you go through your vision and your values to keep them in front of everyone. And you read it every meeting. Every meeting. You go through your vision and your values. And then what you do is everyone has their piece of paper, remember, or, or at least a fresh printout of it. We discuss as a team how we are performing in relation to our defining objectives. How are we doing with what we said we were going to do? How are we doing with the things that we said had to be true in order for our rallying cry to become reality? And then you score each defining objective as a team. And it's not a complex scoring process. This is where Patrick Lencioni is a genius. You score it with a color, red, yellow, or green. Red means Bad full stop, didn't work. Yellow was like, eh, we kind of did okay. We, we kind of didn't do okay. But we may, you know, we're on, we're on the journey. We're on the road. Green, we're knocking it out of the park. We're killing it. We're doing amazing. And so you score it. And whatever is in the red zone, then becomes the priority and the discussion. Or if you don't have anything in the red, what seems to be the most urgent yellow then becomes the priority and the agenda for the meeting. That's the idea. That's the concept is that, um, and I'm a big planner guy. I, I hate going into meetings not knowing what an agenda is. But in this model, the agenda is created on the spot, the agenda is created in real time based upon how we're all doing how we're all doing as a team in relation to our defining objectives. Now, the thing to remember is just like the meeting where we created this and the meeting where we score it, there are no team hats. There are no department hats. So nobody walks in, you know, as the Life Point youth pastor and as the children's ministry director, as the small groups pastor. No, nobody, everybody takes those hats off. We're just leaders at Life Point Church. And we walk through. We walk through the meeting. So how it works uh, in my personal life is we have this meeting weekly. Stephanie and I, on the way home from church on Sunday morning, one of us, depending on who's driving, will pull out our phone, and we'll walk through every one of our defining objectives, and we'll score it. And what's cool is once we got two weeks in, once we got two weeks into this, when it came to the spiritual discipline part, we got our son involved because this was a whole family thing. And so, one of our defining objectives that related to becoming radically spiritually healthy was that our son, Judah, would engage with the Bible reading program. And he listens to an audio Bible, uh, the YouVersion app, and he listens to that every day. And he participates in the scorecard process. Now, he's only five years old, but if he listened to his Bible app every day, we ask him, how'd you do, buddy? And he goes, green. We did green. Green means good. He listened to it every day. And he's able to tell us if he's missed a day, and so... We go, okay, man, well, you did really good, so that's a yellow for this week. So we do that meeting weekly. And then, based on what is read, becomes the priority for that week. Now, with our local church, simply because most of our ministerial team is volunteer, they're bivocational, we have the meeting monthly. And so everybody comes over to my house, we go through the same process, and we score. And whatever is yellow or red then becomes the talking point. And we, we pounce on it. We pounce on it. So, for example, if creating effective altar working experiences was a green last month, was a yellow this month, then we we'll go, okay, how, how can we do that? What, what, what went wrong with our altar calls? Or did we do the things we said we were going to do last month to have effective altar calls? So we go through and we're like, you know what, man, we just we just went over time when it when it came to our preaching. And so as a result, um we were pinched for time. We weren't able to have that we were we were rushing through the altar call experience or you know what, we got hit with mic anointing during announcements and we drugged the thing out and the pastor got up late or the leadership team, we get together and be like, you know what, we weren't, on, we weren't on our game when it came to altar working. There were some moments we could have capitalized on. So what are we going to do this week? Well, this week, every altar call, unless you're on the stage singing or playing an instrument, you are aggressively working the altar. You are actively seeking people to find it. And you know that you've got four Sundays between that meeting and the following one to execute that with excellence because everybody is watching and everyone is making sure because it's ride or die as a team. It's ride or die as a team. So if we've had, you know, uh, three out of six team members do awesome and three out of six team members not do awesome, that doesn't mean that like some get green stickers and some get red stickers. It's everybody dies. Everybody gets the red sticker. Everybody gets the red, the red grade on that because we live and die as a team. And so we go through those defining objectives. And so we go through things and and we're like, okay, or how are we doing on um, on prayer and fasting? We said prayer and fasting was uh, the thing that we needed to do to create a culture and a climate within our church. So so how are you guys doing on that? What's your prayer life been like this week? And we usually don't have to answer that question because people will volunteer that information on the team. They're going to be open about it. And then what we do... Once we score, you know, the the scorecard and we talk about the items that are yellow and red, we come up usually very, very quickly with action items that rise to the surface of what we are to do to change the status of that defining objective from a red or a yellow to a green by the next month. Now with Ontario Youth, we have some defining objectives. And because we're scattered all over the province of material what we often do is at the end of the event I'll go on Slack which is our communication tool of choice and uh, our team together will score red yellow green using emojis on the defining objectives and that will create some pretty big understanding of what the next steps are for the next event to make sure that that doesn't happen or we respond proactively to the things we seemingly dropped the ball on or weren't as successful in the previous event. Super easy. Everyone comes to the meeting and they know exactly what we're going to do, but there is a sense of excitement and anticipation because we're not sure exactly what we're going to have to tackle until we get there. It's like we're firefighters rolling up to a fire and we know we're about to fight a fire, but we don't know what the fire is like until the Until we're there, and then we know what we got to do. The idea is that by creating a global thematic goal and defining it with qualitative objectives, you have the freedom month by month or week by week to pivot and respond to the dynamic environment of life and ministry and organizational leadership and create new action items as you go. And this is great because I'm a big structure and planning person, but I serve with other people who are not. And sometimes, When you are a structure guy and everyone wants to be spontaneous, it can make you feel like your hair is on fire. And when you're a structure planner person and you try to make everyone who's spontaneous structure and planning, it feels like nothing in life is fun or exciting. What this model does is depending on, you know, whether you and your spouse are very different or you and your team members are very different or the leaders in your church are are diverse, this model helps us all. It keeps the structure people open and flexible and responsive to the realities of a dynamic changing organizational or family environment and it helps the spontaneous people think through the lens of structure because any initiative we undertake has to pass through our objectives and impact our rallying cry otherwise it is not up for discussion whatsoever okay so you have it all down you walk through it, you've scored, everyone knows what's green, what's yellow, what's red. You work through an objective, you go, okay, what are we going to do to answer this? And then you divvy up the work, you come up with an action plan, you seal it with a due, due date. Now, the key is to keep it simple and measurable and attainable, not try to do a bazillion things, but simple, measurable, and attainable. And everyone leaves the meeting knowing how we're doing, what we're going to do to make things better, who's responsible for the action items that are going to make things better, and uh, what we're going to tell our teams as a result of this meeting. So in our family, we know by the time that our car pulls into our driveway, we not only have assessed our previous week, in relation to what we said was most important for our family, we already have responded to what we didn't do well last week with an action plan for this week before we ever get out of the car. And that that that's golden. You, you can't put a price on that level of clarity. As leaders, we've got to create clarity in our own lives in our families, as well as the organizations we lead. Because, and I think I mentioned him earlier, Stephen Covey, he's got this amazing book called The Four Disciplines of Execution. He speaks about something called the whirlwind. And he talks about how the whirlwind is all of the stuff that acts on you. It's all of the demands and all of the pressures and frankly, busy work that screams at our attention. It's like there's this tornado of life that is working against us. You know, I'm reminded of the story of Genesis where one of the curses on Adam was that he would struggle and he would he would toil by the sweat of his brow and there would be thorns and thistles that would come up and try to choke the ever-living life at all the stuff that he was trying to grow. It feels like it's that in the 21st century. So much stuff is just... It's it's like a twister, and we're the cow in the middle of it, getting, getting sucked up out of our life and our vision of the future, and everything is shouting and screaming and pinging and buzzing, and it all feels urgent. Every notification feels urgent. Every app wants to send you a push notification, not just to your phone, but to your digital watch if you got one, or to your tablet. It literally is just... Blasting everywhere, and all of it is telling you, act on me right now. All of it is shouting, and unfortunately, that tornado was never going to go away. But when you have clarity, that's okay. It's okay because when you know how you're supposed to act and you know what is most important right now, you don't need a perfect world in order to get the things done that are going to make the greatest difference in your life. Because when you have clarity, you're able to dull the noise, establish some priorities, and make your way towards your win, no matter how strong the tornado of life is pushing back against you. Listen, thank you so much for listening. I know I've dropped a lot of information in this episode, so I am going to make sure I include some links to some further reading and some forms uh, that you can print off and work with your team or work with the family and uh, hopefully get yourself on the journey um, towards creating more clarity in your life and determining what your values are. I highly recommend that you read any book by Patrick Lencioni, but especially The Advantage, also High Performance Habits by Brendan Burchard, as well as The Four Disciplines of Execution by Stephen Covey. I am enormously humbled that you would give me this kind of time. All I would ask is that if you would like to, that is, please subscribe, and if you can leave a review... This helps push this podcast uh, up and out there into the internet landscape, and who knows, someone may stumble across this in the iTunes store or in the Spotify uh, podcast area, which I I really don't know how it works yet, but they may discover it and find a podcast about Jesus, and they didn't know that that's what they were looking for all along. I'd love to connect with you on social media to hear your feedback on uh, this podcast, and Get your ideas for future episodes and any constructive criticism that you'd have for me. My Twitter and Instagram are all the same, and that is at Adam M. Shaw. That's A T A M M Shaw. Well, I hope you just have a fantastic day today. I pray that God would bless you, pray that God would give you strength, and that His power would be with you no matter where you go. Until next time, God bless.